We continue this morning with our uh, study of the Beatitudes. In fact, we finish this morning with the Beatitudes. And we're going to look at uh, the eighth one. Some people say there's nine. I say there's eight. The eighth one says, blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus goes into verse uh, 10 of chapter 5 of Matthew or verse 11, and continues on personalizing this beatitude, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. But let me, let me summarize where we've been for the last seven weeks on these beatitudes. First of all, we see that there is progression in these beatitudes. There's advancement through each one of them. If we look at the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember that we talked about being poor in spirit is the concept of, is of understanding that before God, spiritually speaking, we are bankrupt and we can do nothing on our own to save ourselves and to make ourselves right with God. Then we progress to the next one. As a result of being poor in spirit, we mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And after we've mourned for our sin and we've realized that we're spiritually bankrupt, then we are meek. We are humbled, and we realize that we need God to intervene in our lives on our behalf. And after we've done those three, we come to the fourth one. As a result of being poor in spirit, being mournful, and being meek, we then hunger and we thirst for righteousness. And the scriptures say that when we do that, we are satisfied. We talked about what satisfied looked like a couple of weeks ago. Then look at these next three in the Beatitudes. The next one is... Blessed are those who are merciful. When we have been satisfied because we hungered and thirsted for righteousness, we become merciful people. And next we become pure in our heart, and our hearts desire pure things in this world, not the things of the world, but the pure things of God. And then next we become peacemakers, and we make peace between God and man, and we make peace between man and man for the glory of God. And what do you get after you've embodied all seven of those, you get persecution. Wow. Jesus, why do you give us this one as number eight? Well, here's why. When we live in this world and we are poor in spirit and we mourn and we're meek and we hunger and thirst for righteousness and we're merciful and we're pure in heart and we're peacemakers, we have just lived a life that totally contradicts the world. You see that? The world is not poor in spirit. The world does not mourn. It's not meek. It doesn't hunger and thirst for righteousness, and on and on and on. When we have lived those first seven beatitudes out, we have gone against the grain of this world, and the world will revile us and persecute us and utter all kinds of evil against us because of this. And here's the deal. We are called by Christians to embody all eight of these Beatitudes. This isn't a cafeteria where we can say, you know what, I think I like the meek one, and I'll be meek. And someone else can't say, I'll be the merciful one. No, we as Christians are to embody all eight of these Beatitudes for the glory of Christ. And so this morning we're going to look at what it means to be blessed when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I want to start by telling you that from the, from the beginning of mankind, persecution for righteousness' sake is a reality. 
This is not something new that's modern. This has been going on from the ancient times of long ago. The very first persecution of someone who pursued righteousness was Abel, son of Adam and Eve, and his brother Cain. Abel comes and makes an offering to God. It's of the first fruits. It's of the fat portions of his flock. And Abel is envied by his brother Cain. Because Cain's offering, we can see in the scriptures, was subpar. And God embraced Abel's offering, but he did not accept Cain's because it wasn't first fruits. It wasn't righteous. And what did Cain do to his brother Abel as a result of God rejecting his offering and receiving his brothers. He killed him. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We could advance through every chapter of the Bible almost. Now, that's, that's probably too strong. Every book of the Bible we could advance through, and we could see those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The next one that I would take you to, just listen to this. In Jeremiah chapter 26, there's a prophet named Uriah. And it says this, there was another man who was prophesied and who prophesied in the name of the, of your, the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah from Kareth Jerim. He prophesied against the city and against this land in words like those of Jeremiah. And when King Jehoiakim, with all his warriors and all the officials, heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. And then we read that he pursued him into Egypt. And he caught him and struck him down with the sword and dumped his dead body into the burial place of the common people. He's persecuted because he righteously proclaimed the prophecies of God to the king. We could then advance to Acts. You know Stephen, correct? Stephen was one who spoke to the Jewish officials, recited the whole history of Christianity, the whole history of God and Israel and Moses all the way through to present time. And listen to what it says in, Matthew, in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 54, Acts chapter 7, 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen, persecuted for, for proclaiming the story of God and his people Israel all the way through to the present time and Jesus Christ the Savior. We then fast forward into um, the year 1536. We've talked about William Tyndall in this room. We owe a lot to William Tyndall. We have a Bible in English because of William Tyndall. William Tyndall was persecuted by the state of England, and the king of England had him strangled and burned at the stake. For what? For translating the Bible into English so that the common Englishman could read God's Word. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And persecution has not stopped. Today, 
We sit in an age where persecution is running rampant. Listen to this. Dateline, June 10th, 2013. A 16-year-old Christian convert, Aman Ula, remains missing after having been kidnapped by Islamic militants in Pakistan on May 25th. A faithful servant, following his renouncing of his Islamic faith and embracing of Christianity, he memorized the book of Ephesians so that he could grow in his faith and so that he could encourage his Islamic family and brothers and sisters and neighbors to convert to Christianity. Incidentally, how many American Christians this year have read the book of Ephesians? He memorized the book of Ephesians so that he could be an ambassador for Christ to the militant Islamic terrorists that he once was a part of. Amman was reportedly taken by fighters of the militant Taliban group on May 25th in Peshawar. We don't know which of the 32 different Taliban groups operating both in Afghanistan and Pakistan is responsible, said John Taymor, president of a mission group, Crossbearers Ministry, which works among former Muslims. My team, workers and disciples from Muslim backgrounds who are now Christians, are facing pressures from many sides and physical persecution on all fronts. However, we are looking to our Savior who is able to save us to the othermost. So I've just walked you through from Cain and Abel all the way up to Amman Ula just this last week, two weeks ago, over in Pakistan. Persecution of the saints has been going on from the beginning of the age. So this morning, I ask this. What would our church look like if just the fathers from amongst us would embrace the seven Beatitudes that lead to the eighth? Where would we be as a congregation? Yes, but where would Christianity be? Where would the kingdom of God be in the world if fathers would lead their families living out and embodying all seven of the Beatitudes that lead to this eighth Beatitude? There is a dangerous complacency that is crouching at our doors, dads. There is an apathy towards the Word of God. There's an apathy towards certainly these Beatitudes. And the desire of the enemy is that we would slide into the mode of apathy and we would deny these eight Beatitudes. And our families, our wives, and our children are desperate for dads to be about the Beatitudes. What would our families look like if we were all poor in spirit? And if we mourned over sinfulness, and if we were meek, and if we hungered and thirsted for righteousness, and if we were merciful, and if we were pure in heart, and if we were peacemakers, and if we withstood persecution understanding that it was Christ who was persecuted before us, that would be a beautiful day in the life of this church and in the life of the Christian community. So as we go through the rest of this passage and we look at what Jesus teaches us this morning, yes, I do want to speak to me and all the dads in this room and call us to be ones who live out these eight Beatitudes. And here's how we're going to do this. I think I've got four 
things that we're going to cover. Number one, I want us to see why Jesus tells us we will be persecuted. That's the first thing that we're going to see. Secondly, we're going to see what the persecution actually looks like. What, what is persecution? Number three, we're going to see what we are to do in response to persecution. And put your seatbelt on for that one. And then number four, we're going to see what we are promised when we are persecuted. So that's the four points that we're going to look at this morning. Let's start with number one. Why will we be persecuted? Jesus says this in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then in verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So Jesus here gives us not two beatitudes. It's not blessed are those and then blessed are you. He gives us one beatitude and then he expands on it. He blesses those that are persecuted for righteousness sake. But then he says, hey, let's, let's dig a little deeper on this one. Let's get this one personal. Let's apply it to you individually now. Blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted. And watch this. Jesus ties this persecution to himself. In verse 10, it's persecuted for righteousness' sake. In verse 11, it's persecuted on my account. So we can clearly see here that we must tie together righteousness in Jesus Christ. Righteousness is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is righteousness. In verse 10, he's saying we will be persecuted for embracing kingdom values, righteousness. In verse 11, he's saying you will be persecuted because you embrace the king of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus Christ. So the first thing is we're going to be persecuted for righteousness sake. Be careful. Be careful with this. This is persecution for righteousness, not trouble due to sin in our lives. We can so easily and so quickly excuse the persecution that we're experiencing and say that we're being persecuted for righteousness' sake when really and truly we were arrogant and pompous and we've acted sinfully and we are being treated thus because of the way we've acted. Jesus is not talking about blessing those, for instance, who lose their job because what they call witnessing at the water cooler distracts workers from doing the work and making everybody late to the office. That is not the persecution that Jesus is talking about. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. Servants or employees, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So God will not bless suffering that is a result of our sinfulness. And how quick are we to run and say, oh, I'm being persecuted because I'm a Christian, when in actuality we were being arrogant. We need to be careful that we don't call suffering for righteousness sake something that it's not. God blesses us when we do good, when we do righteousness and, and suffer for it. How about this example? Jesus is not talking about blessing those who defend their faith in arrogant and obnoxious ways and suffer rejection as a result. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Listen to this. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a good defense to anyone who asks you 
for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So we are to defend the faith that we have and the hope that we have with gentleness and respect so that we can have a good conscience before man and before God. And it is good to suffer for being righteous, not for being snarky and arrogant. There's the word, right? Carry over from last week. We cannot be snarky, pugnacious, arrogant, obnoxious Christians and be treated with persecution and say, oh, I'm being persecuted for my faith. Maybe we are, but we have added to this. We need to be humble and gentle and bold and aggressive, but we cannot be arrogant when we defend our faith. So it is for righteousness' sake that Jesus says we are blessed when we are persecuted, not for sin in our lives. Now, another thing that we need to understand is that persecution that he is talking about here in this beatitude identifies us with our Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, on my account, blessed are you when you are persecuted on my account. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 15. Let's look at a verse here to see how that ties, how, how this my account ties to what we are going to experience in this world. John 15, we'll start in verse 18 and we'll go to 20. We read this last Sunday night, I believe, part of this. John 15, 18, John writes, If the world hates you, remember we're talking about identifying with Christ here. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You hear the on my account? Remember that The word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So Jesus is saying here, you are my disciple, and if they have persecuted the teacher, the leader, you must also expect that the followers, the students, will be persecuted in kind. There's a verse that we all need to have memorized, and you can, you can memorize it probably right after I say it here. Second Timothy 3.16 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a sobering message for us this morning, that they persecuted Christ. We should therefore, if we follow him, be, expect to be persecuted. And Paul tells us that indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is a guarantee. It doesn't say might be persecuted. It says will be persecuted. You know, I looked and and, and I, I consider the world that we live in, and I looked at my life this week as I prepared this, and I'm going, okay, Edward, where's the persecution for what you believe in your life right now? And I gotta be honest that I had to dig real deep to find something that even smelled like persecution for my faith. Well, praise God for that, first of all, that I live in a place where I can freely, 
open my Bible, carry my Bible into restaurants, um, share my faith with somebody. Thankfully, we don't live in a place um, that we're going to be arrested because we've memorized the book of Ephesians and we're trying to tell people about Jesus Christ. Yet. But is a day coming in our land where we will be persecuted for our faith? I think if we look around the, the, the news events of the world that we live in and the legislation that our government is considering, there's a day coming where there's going to be some extreme persecution in this land if something doesn't change. And so we need to load up on Jesus' teaching about persecution. We need to get prepared in the event that the day comes here in our lifetime. And so a godly life in Christ Jesus is certain to be persecuted, and a godly life in Christ Jesus is one in which we live out the eight Beatitudes that Jesus has taught us. And here's the statement that sobers us all. And I can tell you that this last week, in a real subtle, faint way, I was persecuted for righteousness' sake. I was persecuted on account of Jesus. It was very subtle, but it's there, and it could become stronger as I encounter people like I encountered this last week. So it's there. You have perhaps experienced it in job application processes. You might have experienced it in service that you received at a store once they figured out that you were a believer in Jesus Christ. They're subtle right now in America, but the day could come where they could be intense. And if we are not being persecuted to some degree in our lives, then we need to check our lives against the Beatitudes. We're not living out the Beatitudes if people, if the world doesn't look at us and say, man, you're different, and I don't know that I can accept you as you are. There's a website. Uh, There's two websites. One is persecution.com and one is persecution.org. I encourage you to go look at these two websites in the next few days. These are websites that are devoted to documenting worldwide persecution of Christians. Persecution.com says that this day and age right now where we live in, you ready for this? There's 200 million Christians who are being persecuted for their faith in the world. Now think about that. That's an astronomical number, is it not? 200 million people in the world at large are being persecuted for their faith. We don't feel like that's going on, do we? That doesn't seem like the reality that we're living in. And that's because the world news agencies are not publishing that kind of news. But if you go into China, if you go into North Korea... You go into the Middle East, you can quickly see where the numbers are going to get into the millions fast, where people are persecuted for their faith. There's another statement that says at least 50 million people are denied common human rights because of their belief in Jesus Christ. That is persecution. And so this is rampant in the world that we live in. It's not rampant in America that we live in, but is that day coming? We need to be ready. We need to expect this. And we know from Scripture that in the last days, persecution will come, and it will be very intense. So the first point is we need to understand why we will be persecuted. And we will be persecuted because we will be living these beatitudes out, and it will be so against the grain of the world that we live in. Number two, what does the persecution look like? Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you 
and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. So we're going to have verbal insults that we will be faced with. There will be physical violence. There will be slander. They utter all kinds of evil against us falsely. That's slander. There will be slander about us that we should expect. And we can only look to the life of Jesus Christ to see each of these enacted against him. Physical violence, many times people picked up stones to kill him. And ultimately, physical violence happened on the cross, correct? Slander, when Jesus cast demons out of people, the Pharisee said he must be Beelzebub himself. That's a false accusation against Jesus Christ. Verbal insults, throughout his ministry, we see evidence of Jesus insulted verbally for what he was proclaiming and for what he was doing. Are you still in John 15? If you are, turn over to John 16, 1. Jesus tells us this, and this is a sobering passage. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is a shocking truth here. Jesus tells us that they will do these things because they think they are offering service to God. That's what the Pharisees did when they handed Jesus over to be crucified. They thought they were serving God. They were denying God. They were denying Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh. Now, like Jesus, we are neither to seek persecution nor are we to retreat from it. Okay, we, we're not martyrs. We don't, we're not martyrs on purpose. We don't have a martyr's complex where we're seeking to be martyred. But we also, at the same time, we do not run from the moments that God has called us to be persecuted for our faith. It is unthinkable for a Christian to avoid persecution by renouncing Christ. Are you there? Are you ready to hold fast to your proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord in the face of persecution? Matthew 10, Jesus says this, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So we don't run looking for persecution, but when it comes, we don't flee it, and we never renounce our faith. We do not deny our Christ. We embrace what he had to endure by experiencing it ourselves, and we actually worship him in a moment of persecution. So persecution is going to look like that. False accusations, physical violence, slander, and the people that do it are going to actually think that they're offering service to God. Number three. Oh, what are we to do in response to the persecution that we receive. Some hard words are coming here. Some hard language is coming here. Look at what Jesus says in uh, Matthew 5, 12. Okay, as you turn there, turn back over there, we'll be there the rest of the way, other than a Hebrews passage. Jesus says, 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then here it is. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad. We must recalibrate our ideas about time. Our time on earth is very short, but our time in eternity is eternal. And we have to look at what we are experiencing this world, and we have to say this is a short, short blip on the radar screen of time. And whatever I'm enduring right here and now is nothing compared to what I will receive and enjoy for all of eternity if I pursue Christ in his Beatitudes. Listen to James chapter 1. Just listen to this. You know this verse probably. Count it all joy, my brothers. Sounds just like it. Rejoice and be glad, right? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You will be perfect and complete, and you will lack nothing. James goes on in in verse 12 of James 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Sounds just like the eighth beatitude, doesn't it? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, when we die, we need to face a reality. We are either uh, immediately dead and our life ends on the spot and we have no existence from then on. Or when we die, we enter into eternity where we will live forever in the presence of God the Father and Jesus the Son. The Bible says life never ends. We have eternal life. We need to be careful about how we process this momentary affliction that we experience in this world. And we need to recalibrate our minds to see that there is an eternal perspective that we need to take as we look at the things that we experience in this world. There's a, there's a great passage in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5, the apostles are persecuted unmercifully for their faith. And we read this, when they called the apostles in, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And, to let, and then they let them go. And then they left the presence of the council, and here's what the apostles did as they, as they left the presence of this council and this beating and scourging that they just received. They rejoiced. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. They did the beatitude that Jesus is speaking of. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So, we also need to recalibrate our desires. Persecution is not something necessarily bad that's happening to us in and of itself, although we don't like it. 
Persecution is actually an opportunity to worship the name of Christ. That's how we need to see persecution. So long as we've not been arrogant and obnoxious, when we get to identify with Christ as he was so treated, we actually get to worship him in spirit and truth in vivid ways that we don't get to when we're not persecuted. And so look at what else Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. He said, for so were the prophets who were before you persecuted. So we also see that we identify with the prophets who went before us. And I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11 to see this in black and white for yourself. Turn to Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1. And I'm tying this to rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's look at those prophets who were before us. We're going to read Hebrews 11.1 1, and then we're going to skip over to 32. Okay. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Their commendation, their reward. Now go to 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. (laughs) That's the Christian life, dating all the way back to the beginning of man. Abel is named in Hebrews 11, right? In fact, this persecution account starts with Abel's martyrdom. Look at verse 39. And all these things, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Here's this perfection again, this reward in heaven, which is perfection for all of eternity. And so there are many who have gone before us that have been persecuted for the faith, and they are going, they are waiting for the time of Christ to perfect us with them for all of eternity. This is the Christian life, and this is what we're called to live. Now, last point. What are we promised when we're persecuted? What are we promised by Jesus when we endure persecution for righteousness' sake? Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the promise. And there are two bookends in the Beatitudes. I want you this I want you to turn back with me to Matthew chapter 5 now, and we'll finish here. 
in this passage. There are two bookends in this passage. If we see the very first beatitude, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when we see the eighth one in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We see here that it is accurate to read the promises in between these two bookends is what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember, we talked about that. We already, as Christians, are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Already, right now, we are king citizens of this kingdom. But if you look at the Beatitudes in between, they all say, we shall be comforted. We shall inherit the earth. We will be satisfied. These are all future-oriented. We will receive mercy. We will see God. We will be called sons of God. Those are not yet fulfilled that we will be in the future. So we have this tension in these promises in the beatitude. We already are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but we will receive these promises in the future. So this, these bookends tell us that we need to be about all eight of the beatitudes to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. We cannot have the kingdom of heaven without also being comforted, satisfied, seeing God, being called sons of God, etc. Again, it's all or nothing when we consider the character traits of the Christian and the Beatitudes that Jesus gives us. So let me conclude with this. I've got two points that I want to apply these truths to our lives here this morning. And I want to start with fathers. The church needs fathers to set their life on pursuing righteousness and readying themselves and their families for persecution. To one degree or another, dads, to one degree or another, if you and I are dead earnest about putting God first in our marriage, if we're dead earnest about putting God first in the way we raise our children, in the way we work, and in the way we spend our leisure time, we will run into persecution. If we're dead earnest about living out these eight Beatitudes, we will get the eighth one for sure. The world will mock us. The world will mock us for being a one-woman man. The world will mock us for being faithful to the death to our wives. The world will mock us if we manage our own households well, if we raise up our children in, in, the stru- in the instruction of the Lord, we will be persecuted in this world for that. The world will penalize you if you conduct business transactions with equal scales and you do fair business deals. You will be penalized financially for being a fair businessman. Are you ready to be penalized for righteousness' sake? The world will gnash its teeth at us for being righteous and pure with how we spend our leisure time as dads. Are you ready to be pure in heart with your leisure time? We see in Scripture all kinds of encouragements to us from Christ and from the writers of the Gospels and from the writers of all the other letters in the New Testament that we are to be ready for persecution. And I want this to soak in. I want, I want dads in the room to listen to this passage 
and let this soak in and let this be a challenge to you. This is Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is your, a great reward, for you have need of confident endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then listen to verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. May that be true about every father in this room. May we not be those who shrink back in the face of conflict conflict and persecution in this world and be destroyed, but may we be those who preserve our souls by clutching fast to these eight Beatitudes and embracing them for all they are. So that's application number one. Dads, let's be ready to live out these eight Beatitudes. And the last point of application is this. We must remember the persecuted around the world. I said earlier, there are 200 million, some estimate, Christians being persecuted for their faith. I gave you the story of uh, Amman, who is being persecuted for converting from Islam to Christianity and memorizing the book of Ephesians. How many people in the world right this minute are being so treated for their faith? We are told in Hebrews 13.3, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. The body of Christ is an amazing thing. It is global and it is local. We are a local manifestation of the body of Christ. But the reality is that we are connected with every Christian in the world, and these 200 million Christians are a part of the body of Christ. And we're called in Hebrews here to remember those who are in prison, to remember those who are persecuted and mistreated, since we are one with them in the body of Christ. Listen to reality here. This is Dateline June 10th as well. North Korea not only continues to completely outlaw Christianity among its Christians, but holds as many as 70,000 Christians in one of six massive prison camps around their country. In addition, the North Korean regime has recently arrested and sentenced Kenneth Bay, an American Korean citizen and Christian, for allegedly conducting hostile acts against the state. What did he do? He went and built orphanages, And in the orphanages, he held forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been arrested, and his sentence is 15 years of hard labor in one of these prison camps. And that sentence was laid down on April 30th, and to this day, from April 30th to now, Kenneth Bay is in prison doing hard labor for holding forth the gospel to orphans and underprivileged children. It's happening right now. Not in America yet, but around the world, it is the norm in many countries like North Korea. So my call this morning is, fathers, 
Let's be about these eight beatitudes and let's embrace persecution for righteousness sake. And let's lead our families to stand firm in the face of a hostile world that hates what we believe and who we believe in. And while we do that, let's not forget as a church to pray for those who are a part of our body of Jesus Christ and who are imprisoned and being tortured and maybe even killed as we speak this morning right now. Let me pray.